0: Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Unfortunately, I have a little bit of news to start off here. So recently, we were made aware that our website was duplicated. Our website is still 100% safe, as it always has been, and we've processed tons of orders recently, and it's it's safe. I want you to know that, first and foremost. So, But we also want to let you know that you need to be shopping at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. So I just want everybody to know that we have done, I feel like everything that we can do on our end to try to shut this down. We've contacted literally the FBI, internet crimes, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard. We've reported it to Google. I don't know how many times. And so we found, you know, we found and made contact with as many different agencies as we can find. We've also um, contacted lawyers and unfortunately, you know, things, are taking a lot longer than we had thought that this would take. So we want to make it, you know, make you aware that it's out there and we we don't want anybody to have any issues with it. But in the meantime, we just want you to be aware that our site is safe, www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. And we hope that we can continue to work to rectify this situation, but we felt it was in our best interest and the integrity that we've always had with team rhino outdoors to put it out there And, you know, be forthcoming as to is that there's a potential issue out there. I also wanted everybody to know that if you are using, you know, this is just a safe online shopping practice. If you're shopping online, it's best to use a credit card. Your credit card company will give you 100% protection. Whereas if you're using a debit card, you don't have that same protection. So just uh, something to let you know. But that's where we stand right now. So Jeff, you
1: know, the key point here is your actual domain name. So the website that you are currently using is the the critical part. And I think you should reshare that one more time.
0: Yes. Our website is www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. That's the website that you should be shopping at. That's the website that's been safe for the last eight years. That's the website that we will stand behind And that's the one you're going to want to go to www.teamrhinooutdoors.com.
1: This is an unfortunate uh, affair, if you will, but ultimately, Jeff, I mean, the guys that have been out there, you know, guys and gals that have been shopping with you all these years will definitely uh, continue doing that. Totally amazing to think that uh, we have people copying and basically cyber attacking a smaller mucky arena i mean it is
2: it's very strange
0: well you know brad when i first found out about it i mean quite honestly i was uh I, it really felt like you got punched in the gut you know i like literally it was it's our logos our products our descriptions if you go to our about us they, uh, apparently uh in this, you know, this fishing stuff, I guess they can do this in like two hours. Cause at first when I saw it, I was like, holy cow, they must've spent a ton of time on this. But after I did research on it, I didn't even know this thing could happen. I found out more about it and they can literally duplicate this really quickly, you know, but their about us section is, I think it's stolen from like a t-shirt company or, or something like that. So, you know, I like, again, Brad, I, it was a major, you know, punch to the gut. Quite honestly, it was a major blow and I was, I mean, you don't know how extremely disappointed I was in it. It's unreal.
1: I can totally understand that, Jeff. I I feel for you. This is uh, a crazy scenario. And when you don't have the uh, backup to actually correct the issues that you're dealing with, it makes it very tough.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I mean, we've crossed all the T's and dotted the I's to try to, uh, you know, I guess avoid, I, I thought this could be a quick resolution, right? You know, if you have a fake Facebook page, they rip that thing down in about an hour and a half. But I mean, I guess in some cases it's good that it's not that easy because you wouldn't want, you know, competition just claiming that, you know, whatever about your website is wrong and and ripping it down. But at the same point, when you know that you are the rightful owner of those contents, it's very disheartening. And it's quite honestly, it's more disturbing than I thought as far as like how little... I guess, responsibility anybody would take with it. I mean, every channel we go to, it's almost like, no, you're going to have to contact these people. And it's like, no, you're going to have to contact these people. So in closing, Brad, I just want everybody to know uh, our website is still, you know, safe. It's still operational. It's the same place you've shopped forever, www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. And we'll continue to uh, work to rectify the situation as quick as we can.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I feel for you, you know, this is a, crazy, crazy scenario in today's world, right? So all we can do is ask everybody to kind of let everybody else know in, in their little circles that uh, this is an issue and move forward.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and, and if you have questions or you have concerns, you know, simply drop us an email, teamrhinooutdoors at gmail.com, and we'll answer those. You could certainly give us a phone call. If you go to com, you can find our phone number, which On this fake website, you cannot find a phone number for anybody there. So if you, if you need to contact us, we're certainly available. Uh, Certainly going to try to give, you know, give everything 110% like we have, you know, for the past eight years.
1: Well, I I don't think uh, anybody can, can question anything that you've done, Jeff. I mean, ultimately your customer service, your delivery spot on at the end of the day, that will continue.
0: I appreciate that, Brad. You we know, hope to keep all of our loyal customers shopping with us, and uh, you know, like I said, we're going to do the best that we can to try to move forward. It's uh, it was a very, it was a very difficult time. I mean, extremely difficult. I don't like I said, I can't tons of sleep this night's lots of hours trying to get this taken care of, and quite honestly, hours I don't really have to deal with it. But you know, this is life, and that's what you do. And so, uh, put our big boy pants on and and went to attack it. You know, my wife even took off. Um, I don't know how many days off of work just to make phone calls to different companies to try to get this taken care of. But Brad, certainly, I mean, I wanted to take a time out. So we, we knew it. This is getting a little bit longer than I anticipated. So I just want everybody to know that you're still operational at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com, The same place you've shopped for, you know, the past eight years.
1: Absolutely, Jeff. Definitely something to think about, something to listen to. And, uh, hopefully this is, uh, can be corrected in the near future.
0: Let's certainly hope so. So Brad, let's talk a little bit about fishing. It's, um, you know, mid September, a little past mid September and, uh, how's fishing been?
1: Well, I can tell you that it's been tough. And I mean, that's the common theme for about a month and a half. But if you, uh, start talking to anybody across the country, literally it has been a tough, tough bite and I will say that it doesn't matter if it's Canada, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, throughout the whole Midwest. People are saying it's tough, tough, tough. But I will also say that there is a window every day, and that window seems to be from like 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock every day. And then the other side of that is it might be really close to the moon, and once that moon kind of passes by the three to four days before moon, three to four days after moon and it starts slowly kind of fading away again. It's been the story this whole year. It's been a struggle, battle, whatever you want to say. But uh if you put your time in, you're probably gonna to put together a pattern and actually get it done.
0: That sounds good. I've been uh dealing with many other problems lately. I did manage to put some fish in the net, but um time on the water's been a little bit limited. You know, we've still been, you know, pumping out orders that are pre- pretty good frequency, Brad. So, I mean, it's good that you, uh, you provided that update with everybody.
1: The one thing that I'd like to talk about too, Jeff, you know, in the last podcast, maybe even the podcast that we're just going to do is you're talking about, uh, when do you change a base, right? That's been a common question that you've always brought up in the podcast for probably over a year, right? Mm-hmm. When do you realize that, Hey, you need to switch gears. And I think, uh, you know, Chase and I were talking about that a little bit in the boat here as we've been doing some filming with Mayhem's 10,000 Cast. One of the things that you definitely need to do is is check your gut, right? You want to listen to your gut. When you don't have the feeling anymore with that particular bait, change it up. And if that's not working for you, and your gut's saying, hey, this isn't going to happen, guess what? It's all about confidence. And That bait selection definitely comes down to a confidence and gut check, something I just wanted to add in here in
0: this uh, opening. Sounds good, Brad. Well, with that being said, let's get into a conversation and talk a little bit of fishing.
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: All right. Our guest on this episode is going to be Jeff Schulte with Bomb Squad Baits. If I was a real good host, which as we know I'm not, I would have looked back to see how long it's been since we talked to Jeff. Have we even talked to, we've talked to Jeff since he's been the bomb squad guy, right? I mean, we've, I think we've had him on, haven't we?
1: I try to talk to him weekly, but you know, he's so busy, he doesn't have time to talk, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, usually when I call, he doesn't answer, so, I mean, at least you got that.
1: <laughs> well, I'm in the same boat, but yeah, I, I don't know if when the last time was that we had Jeff
2: on. Jeff, can you help me out with that? I want to say it's almost maybe been a year and a half, right when I got kind of kicked off. With bomb squad, I think it was in the spring. So it's been a while; it's been too long. So it's good to be back, and and uh, excited to talk about muskies.
0: Well, what are we going to talk about with muskies? You guys are the ones with all the uh, you know bright ideas over there. So what what do you want to talk about this week?
1: Well, let's talk a, a little bit in depth about the month of September. Those first initial cold fronts, and uh, let's talk about baits. Let's talk about the types of structure that we might fish. And we'll dive right into kind of how you run those bomb squad baits and some of the other bait selection that's uh, necessary to have when you're fishing September.
0: Since I can't remember when the last time Jeff's been on, why don't Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit about you, your bait company, and what you got going on over there to start with.
2: Sure. So I've been doing bomb squad now for like two years, I think it or coming up on two years. I uh, kind of started out with flat tails, big flat tails. And uh, we made a smaller one, the C4, which is a smaller version. And we also came out with a prop called the Tomahawk. Uh, I got to say, I've been really fortunate to be as busy as I've been. I've been doing this full time, and it's been keeping me busy full time. So with that, came a lot less fishing, but that's okay. It's nice when uh, Brad calls and says, hey, we got to get in the boat together. Let's get some days. And and, uh." it's really nice when they bite. I'll say that. We went through a lot of days where they didn't. But no, it's been good. Building baits has been fun. I've been, I've been building baits for a living for probably seven years, uh, but doing bomb squat on my own here for two. So looking forward to 2023. Hopefully uh, get a few new things out there. And, you know, I, I know when September is here because the pictures start rolling in, which is awesome. As a, as a bait builder, there's nothing better than seeing people have success on your baits. Um, it's almost more gratifying than, than catching them yourself uh, on your own baits. It is more gratifying in fact. So yeah, the the last week has been kind of a, a nice little flood of people sending in picks and, and, uh, buying baits. And I'm glad I got to be able to use, them um, here recently, get out and finally do some fishing and actually do some catching too. So.
0: Well, Jeff, let's, I, I'm looking back here and it honestly looks like it was episode 66 from July 1st of 2020. Were you on your own with Bomb Squad on July 1st of 2020?
2: July 1st of 2020 I don't think so no that was uh, that was actually when I was kind of exiting or whatever you call it with phantom so no that was that was just a it was an idea that I had had and actually Brad and I had, had worked uh, in the wood shop probably two years prior to that and I said I want to build a flap and I want it to be something that looks a little different and so we just started messing around and I don't know we had 15 samples that we turned out and gosh, this one looks like, kind of like a bomb. And so we put some hooks on it and started playing with it and away we went. The idea was there, but no, at that time I wasn't uh, officially on my own, I guess.
0: Well, I do have to admit, you know, the Bomb Squad logo is probably one of the coolest logos in musky fishing in my opinion. I mean, I actually had to buy a t-shirt of it and I don't typically do that for many companies.
2: (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. That'll make my wife really happy, to be honest. Uh, She put a lot of effort into that and, And, uh, she's a lot more talented there than I, so, um, a good logo is nice. Everybody likes decals to slap on their, uh, tackle boxes and boats. So uh, I appreciate that feedback. So why don't you tell everybody how they go about getting
1: some of those stickers, those t-shirts, you know?
2: Uh, Yeah. Well, so there again, I haven't done a great job again. I'm so lucky to be as busy as I've been. Eventually they'll get up to be on the website. They'll definitely be at shows this season. But we will get it if you want a T-shirt, just shoot me a message via probably Facebook or email is the, the best way or, or through the website, and I can make it happen. I got boxes of shirts, and I got nowhere for people to buy them, but I got to get a little bit better at that. But I'll just keep building baits. I, I think what's going on there, Jeff, is uh,
1: no different than the rest of the muskie community when it comes to building baits or having some sort of a product that ties to the muskie world. Time is limited and most of our companies are, we're small, you know, and, and time is precious. So I think just dealing with that same growing pains, and not unlike you, myself, and all the other people in the industry.
2: I also think one of the worst things you can do as a, uh, a bait builder is go fishing with somebody who is very creative minded. Uh, I just spent a few days in the boat with Chase Gibson and I think he said, you should do this or have you thought about doing this? at least 75 times. So now I've got about 15 bait ideas rolling through my head that's going to kind of clog things up um, for me just staying on the rails. But, no, that is the challenge. We all have great ideas. Um, You know, making a bait doesn't just happen. There's plenty of testing and time that goes into it. And, you know, switching this, switching that. And uh, so, no, time is definitely a valuable thing. And sometimes the little things like T-shirts and decals – don't get the attention that maybe they should or they deserve. But um, again, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be as busy as I am. Um, And I am very excited for September, which is finally uh, well underway here and, and uh, 2023 show season.
0: Okay. Well, Jeff, since I've obviously discovered now that I, it appears that we haven't talked necessarily about bomb squad baits that I can tell maybe, I mean, I didn't see anything in any of the titles. So let's start with your lineup then quickly. Let's go, 'Cause right now I think there's basically three main baits. Why don't you kind of talk about those so then and then we'll we'll talk about, you know, Brad like we'll go back to what Brad was talking about at the beginning. Bait selection, all that kind of stuff.
2: The ori- original bait um, for bomb squad was what we call the MK sixty five. It's a six and a half inch flap tail, uh big diameter, two inch diameter. You know, the guys in Minnesota really seem to gravitate towards that bait. That has a smaller sibling which is the c4 four inches long much smaller profile still creates a big wake and still has a big diameter uh, but just doesn't have the big big profile that the 65 has that especially last season with with shows getting back underway that was the big you know the most popular one in uh, illinois and wisconsin i also then have the tomahawk which is a prop bait which you know we came out with la at kind of mid-season last year um, a bigger profile bait similar to the 65 it's got a few different you know unique things to it um, with how the prop is configured and kind of what i call the screech disc it's basically a disc on the back which allows some metal on metal rubbing and squealing so there's just some different kind of triggers and mechanisms built into into that prop bait so right now as it says we've got two different size flap tails and uh the tomahawk prop which is which has been, you know, I'm trying to think when it was. We got two on the Tomahawk here not too long ago. So it's been really good. It is it is interesting. Uh, you know, I see it pretty clearly how guys in different states buy differently. And and like I said, the C4, those have been going a lot. A lot of those have been going to Wisconsin. Here in Minnesota, we just have this thing for big baits and, and uh, the 65 being the biggest that I've got. That seems to sell well here in Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the lineup for Bomb Squad right now hopefully that'll be changing here in 2023 or updating
0: all right let's talk a little bit about these two flaps you got the mk65 the c4 basically the size is the the biggest difference let's talk about how you work them i mean can you work these because typically for me when i work a flap tail you almost got to work them almost painfully slow is that this case with these as well
2: so painfully slow is how i like to work them but it's not how you have to work them at least the so one of the things that I really focused on with this bait was I wanted it to be heavier and denser than some of the others that i ran. When they get to be super light, I found that that rear blade doesn't catch enough water and it doesn't really click, um, or it sits up on top of the wake and it can kind of just ride on top of the wake um, and not be catching that water and flipping and clicking. So they are heavier in design. They ride low in the water. They push a lot of wakes. When you get those smaller fish to blow up on it like bottle rockets, the bait doesn't go flying five feet in the air. That's really cool to see, uh, but that's not putting hooks in the fish's mouth, which is kind of the whole point. So their lower riding, like I said, creates that big wake. Um, you know, One of the design features that uh, it wasn't intended, it was totally latent. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was totally secondary, was the end of the bait kind of necks down and then it flares out again. And that's what gives it that bomb look. What that does is take some of the buoyancy out of that rear end of the lure. And that buoyancy, having that rear end sit lower in the water allows that blade to catch more water, flip and turn a little faster, and just gives you more click and clack. Uh, it also helps that rear end to wobble a little bit more, which we keep our, our um, clicker disc loose so that as that blade's turning, it's ro- it's uh, moving that clicker disc as well as the blade popping out occasionally, clicking on that disc. So it's got two different metallic sounds. And, and again, it wasn't intended. It was purely cosmetic when, when I first turned it. Uh, but seeing how they operate, it it does give it a different different way of running, and it does at times look like it's almost putting out two different wakes. Yeah, that that's been a really nice thing about that bait. The C four will run a little bit deeper in the water actually, uh, because there's not as much buoyancy there. It tends to click a little bit less uh, than the sixty five, which some guys like. Um, just a smaller package though, easy for those you know those fish to swallow. I like a big profile, so I, I generally gravitate towards the 65. I've got two of my best fish ever on it, so maybe that's why I like it too. You know, we, we have had pretty good luck on the C4s too. I just fished the PMTT on Leech here not too long ago, and they were wanting the C4s for, for pre-fishing, <laughs> not for the tournament, but that's how it goes. So,
0: All right, well, now that we got the infomercial part of this out of the way, Brad, you had a few things you wanted to talk about because obviously, you know, September started out pretty hot and then things definitely got cooler. Why don't we talk a little bit about that, Brad?
1: Well, I can tell you this, Jeff, you know, we're coming off of probably the worst or the toughest August that I've ever experienced. And that's just being honest. And I know we had Chase on once or twice in the last month or so. Chase is sitting here with us as well, but you know, <laughs> He was looking at me like, man, you know, if this is the way August is going to be next year, I think I might go somewhere different. <laughs> um, talk about a frustrating month, and and it kind of carried into September. I will say, you know, these first cold fronts, the first one really didn't do much for us. The second one started to the supercharge these fish, and and that's what we always wait for. Sometimes it happens the last week of August. Sometimes it happens the second week of September but it's here and it's upon us. And I think uh, what we should really truly discuss tonight is how you deal with that first cold front and what baits you're going to choose and how you're going to work them. And bomb squad ties right to that whole topic. Well, I I think ultimately, you know, Jeff just did his little spiel about bomb squad. It's blown my mind the last couple of years, having the opportunity to throw the baits throughout the month of September the flap has become one of my favorites for this month. I had it a year before the public had it. We had fish on it. Last year, if you were watching Mayhem's 10,000 casts, I don't remember what episode, it was number three, number four, somewhere in there. We, uh, we ended up with a 54.5 that Jeff personally caught, which was his personal best at the time, and that was absolutely incredible. This year has been no different. Even in August, when things were really, really tough, that's the bait that I was going to because the fish were lazy. They did not want to react to anything, but that flap would actually make those fish come up and eat. The second component that I would like to talk about, I guess, is throwing small blades, you know, and speed becomes very, very critical at this time of the year. When those first cold fronts happen, you can't turn that bait fast enough. And so we could go down that
0: whole road as well. Let's talk about small blades. We've, you know, we'll jump back to that top water stuff and let's talk about that. I know Chase kind of hinted at it, I believe. And I mean, this is starting to all run together because it seems like we've had Chase around like all the time, but uh, I know obviously we haven't, but maybe it's just because you and I and and Chase talk enough. Um, I think it was last episode or not last episode, it was the week before. Chase was talking about small blades, particularly the rabid squirrel and the rabid girl, I believe. You know, what is it that's, I guess, what is it about the small blades that are makes it so effective? Typically, you'd you'd be thinking bigger blades, and, and especially over there in Minnesota, you'd be thinking bigger blades. What's so special about them, I guess I would say?
1: Well, there's two things, right? There's two components to what you're doing out there, and I, I hit it on the head. Uh, we're talking about two different opposite opposing baits, right? We're talking about a slow-paced bait that you're barely creeping and it's barely making any noise, but it's pushing a big wake, right? That's the flap. Then you go into the blade side and talking about rabbit squirrels or, or the rabbit girl, both of those baits, we've caught a bunch of fish on. And even pre-cold front, we were, we were starting to try this because we kept thinking these fish are going to start eating this stuff, you know? The other one in the mix would be the double showgirl. The whole reason that we're using that is to get that speed. What you're looking for ultimately is a reaction bite. You want those fish to engage without following, right? So if they're being down there, that first cold front, they're laying in the sand or they're laying in a pocket of weeds, you need to burn right over their head, make them make a decision. And that's typically why those baits are so effective.
0: All right. Well, then we're talking, you know, small, fast blades or yeah, small, fast blades. And we're talking, you know, big, slow flap tails. Let me tell you, how do you decide between which one? And if you make the decision on, you know, one or the other, how long are you going to stick with one before you're changing it up?
1: Well, definitely it helps when you have more people in the boat, correct? I mean, if you have more than one person in that boat with you, you can play that game. And typically you want the guy in the front of the boat to be throwing a faster bait so that you're not always waiting on them to get their bait in before you can cast again. But typically at this time of the year as well, you're going to end up dealing with a lot of wind. So now we're going to talk a little bit about boat positioning. Now you could throw two flaps if you wanted to because you're side drifting, right? If you're dri- drifting over that structure and not pulling the boat forward to, uh, to maintain your boat correction, you can kind of change things up in the boat. Um, it's a tough one, Jeff, you know, maintaining your schedule throughout the day on exactly what you want to be doing, and what those fish are telling you, it can be a struggle. And believe me, we've struggled many, many days, but the consistency was in the last couple, three weeks, that flap was actually getting fish to show themselves. The blades would sometimes be the, the preferred way for the fish to eat and, and always judging that time frame. When do I switch? When do I go back? If it was one guy in the boat, I don't know that we'd be at the point we are right now to be able to figure that all out. So it's a really difficult question. I mean, we've talked about this since the beginning of this whole podcast. I know it's one of your most popular questions. When do you change baits? It's so tough to say. It really is. I mean, if you're not having interaction with that muskie, how do you make a decision, Right. And the other thing is, is, a lot of times these fish will just follow a bait, but they're not actually eating it, you know, and, and that becomes an issue as well. Hey, I'm getting the interaction with the fish, but they're not eating it. Uh, so at some point, you know, is that three fish that come in on that bait and they still haven't eaten it? Do you change at that point?
2: Um, it can be a very, very frustrating topic. The other thing I would maybe add to that is uh, kind of factoring in what kind of structure you're fishing. You know, we we've, we've just had a lot of surface weeds here lately and there's spots, there's different types of weeds where the flap is a little more conducive to pull over it. And there's definitely times where if you're kind of picking through little open pockets, you can dart those little blades in, get them in, get them out real quick without getting them too hung up and messy. And I mean, I must have pulled off 15 bales of weeds this week. And, you know, so that was a big part of it too. There was areas that I could fish pretty effectively riding right over the top of it. And, you know, when when Chase was behind me, he was slinging that blade wherever he wanted to, burning through weed. So that can sometimes be another factor as well. And like Brad was saying, if you're fishing alone and you don't know where the fish are, blades seem to be a little bit more logical because you can cover ground and, and, uh, you know, really get as many casts in as possible where the flaps are a lot slower. If you're on fish and they're just not biting, the flap can be a better option because it forces them to make a decision. What in the heck is this big thing that's just clicking by my head? They're inquisitive by nature, and so, it's. I mean, it doesn't answer the question, but there's just a couple other factors that can kind of play into what am I going to throw here? You know, and it doesn't have to be a flat, it can be any topwater bait, but if you got a lot of what I call eelgrass, or some people call it seagrass or whatever. Sometimes that's really frustrating to fish topwaters through. Flip over to double shows and burn them up.
0: You know, Brad, you mentioned that, you know, when do you change? That's one of my most popular questions. I think that's because that's like one of the things that, muskie anglers wrestle with the most I know that's what I wrestle with the most when do you change structure when do you change speed when do you change baits you know when do you go back on a muskie I mean it's all those things that that play into it obviously if there was a you know a, a if these muskies could tell you what you know what's going on it'd be a lot easier but you know it's it's when you know it's always decisions right on on uh, any day on the water it's always about making the right decision and I think I've talked about it before. I mean, the difference between success and failure on a, on a water, you know, a day on the water can be literally one decision. You know, it's unbelievable how that goes. I mean, we'll use, for example, the other day, um, I was on the water as by myself. So I worked a piece of structure. I worked it once with the top water since early in the morning. Then I went back through and I threw a. Uh, I went to the rabid squirrel. I was listening to chase. I went small rabid squirrel, didn't see anything. Then I completely moved structure, went and fished, you know, a couple different spots. And I was like, all right, I know there was fish here just the other day. I want to come back on it again. So this time I used a bulldog. Well, if I, and I, and I debated between a bulldog and a junior cowgirl. And, you know, unfortunately for you, the bulldog went out. Fortunately for me, the bulldog got bit. You know, if I would have went to a junior, maybe I got, maybe I, I got him to eat a junior, but I don't know. So, you know, that's, that's the thing about you know, when I ask that question, when do you change it? It's those decisions that lead to success or failure. I mean, had I switched to a junior, I, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have caught a muskie that day.
2: Yeah,
1: I definitely think uh, there's parts to that equation, though, Jeff. You know, when you're going with a single blade, you're, you're able to maneuver that bait a little bit faster, but you can also kind of do a medium pace. And, and what I'm talking about is if the fish aren't interacting with a high speed bait, just go at a moderate to medium speed, right? Once you start seeing those fish start to engage, now you can go to a double blade. And the reason you can go to a double blade and really, really burn it is you're pushing move more water. You're moving that water. It's those fish are fired up. Same thing with, like say, the flap tail. If uh, the fish aren't really truly engaging and you need to make that really, really slow movement, once they're fired up, Sometimes you can go right back to that tomahawk or a different prop bait that's going to actually cover water faster as well.
0: Well, let me throw another scenario at you. The other day we were on the water. This was over Labor Day, you know, a little while back now. And uh, you know the the guy in the in the back of the boat was throwing a junior cowgirl. And he had a couple fish up on junior cowgirls, but he didn't get him to he didn't get him to engage. So in that instance, what would what would be your your next move? would you A, speed it up, B, slow it down? Because it wouldn't say he was burning it at all. It was probably a, a moderate pace. Or in that instance, would you either go to a bigger blades or smaller blades? What's your thought process on, on that? If you're moving fish and they're not eating a junior, where do you go from there?
1: Well, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question in a sense, Jeff. And the reason it's loaded is I don't know the maneuvers at the side of the boat, right? Um, And every body of water is a little bit different. I think I blew some minds over the last couple of years with with Chase himself and some others that have been in my boat. You know, certain bodies of water, it's almost like, you know, we always talk about the cat and mouse, right? Try to keep that mouse away from the cat. That fish is going to eat, right? Well, (laughs) I have bodies of water where if you don't keep the gap between the bait and that fish at six to eight inches, these fish, like, lose interest, right? If they're really, really firing and they want to eat, there's nothing you can do to keep that bait away from them, right? It's fast, as fast as you can go. But there's times when they're a little bit lazy. So it's a loaded question in the sense. I don't know exactly what the scenario was when that fish came to the boat. And you got to be able to start learning and, and figuring out how to re- interact with that fish at the boat side. So that's kind of a loaded question in that sense. But the one thing that I will tell you is, uh, you know, was there direction changes coming to the boat? That's definitely something that you want to think about. If you see that fish following away from the boat, try to make a different change in direction of that bait. Maybe get them to fire before you even get to the boat, right? But usually it's in that L. You bring that fish out away from you and you're going to bring it up higher in the water column and kind of hang it. And that, it seems to always get those fish to really interact. As far as the bait, you know, size, that's something that you got to experiment. You got to see what those fish want at that particular time. A lot of times when I have lazy, lazy fish, I like to slow things way, way down. You're going to hang it in their face. And and when you have it hanging in their face, it's kind of the same method of, of burning when you're trying to get a reaction strike. Now, when it's hanging in their face, they're following it and they're following it and following it and all of a sudden you go into that first l turn now they might get supercharged because hey i gotta do something this thing's trying to get away from me right so again two different ways to look at that choosing the bait i like to think a lot of times that it's more about how you interact with the fish more than it is that exact bait at that moment
0: all right. And if you, you know, Brad, I know you don't, you missed the last episode with Steve. You're busy, always busy fishing, right? And, you know, for anybody, if you didn't listen to that episode, go back and Steve breaks down bucktails quite a bit. And some of the stuff that Brad had just talked about is stuff that Steve had, um, had talked about. So if you, uh, haven't listened to last week's episode, go check out the Steve hiding episode. I'd say it's probably eh, halfway or th- halfway or so through the episode, where Steve breaks down a lot of uh, his tips for, for, uh, you know, catching fish on bucktails. A lot of what Brad had just talked about is also very similar to direction changes, speed changes, all that kind of stuff.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you know, there's nothing that beats time on the water. And, and when you have that time on the water, you're going to learn how to read the fish and you're going to know exactly what maneuvers to do at the moment that it happens. Right. And it's so amazing to me in all the years, They'll catch you off guard at times, but ultimately everything kind of goes into slow motion when it starts to happen. If you've done this a while, <laughs> it's like everything's in slow motion and that you think really, really clearly. Uh, it's amazing what your brain is capable of doing when that moment happens.
0: Yeah, time on the water is a big deal, obviously. I mean, it's the, it's the biggest deal, right? I mean, there's no substitute for it. The problem I have with it is that you know, you have so many of these anglers on the water, they have such limited time, you know, maybe they have a day, a weekend, if they're lucky, or maybe it's two days a month, you know, and so they don't get, they don't get uh, days in succession to be on the water to know the pattern, and therefore they're maybe not coming in contact with as many fish as you are, so, you know, their, um, their abilities to read a fish probably aren't as good, I mean, heck, they're, my abilities to read a fish aren't even that great I would say at some points you know like I'm I wouldn't say I'm a perfect figurator by any means I mean i I catch a couple here and there but I'm not awesome so it's um that's that's one thing I have it's hard with musky fishing right because you I mean let's say a good day sometimes can just be seeing one right I mean I think we can all agree that a um if you catch one fish if you have a Put a fish in the in the boat for uh however many people are in your boat one two three doesn't matter that's a, a successful day I feel right
1: yeah absolutely I mean anytime you mingle with muskie that's a good thing right so I, I get that you know one thing that just popped into my head was probably like a week ago now we were throwing the flap throwing the flap throwing the flap and and the fish would interact with it but they wouldn't really truly commit to it. And it still wasn't real windy. A lot of times when it's super windy, I like a noisy, faster paced, uh, topwater bait. And so, you know, Chase had a buddy of his up here and he's from West Virginia and he wants to get topwater fish because in West Virginia, they don't get very many opportunities at topwater fish. And I said, man, just grab that, uh, Cannonball junior, get it on there. We'll see what takes place. And he throws it out there. I don't know, maybe 10, 15 caps and just gets this nice beautiful 46 inch fish just crushes the bait right and and chase later that day goes why'd you have them do that and and the reason that i had them do it and i think it was purely because they were interacting with that flap but they weren't committing to it and so go to the total opposite you know all of a sudden let's go to a noisy topwater bait that's a little bit faster and see what happens and, and that cause that fish to eat in my opinion could he have gotten it on the flap potentially he could have right but uh that's the deal that you got to pay attention to each little detail that might take you to another level right it's always about the piece pieces of the puzzle keep putting them together keep thinking about what you are going to do next that fish is doing this why is it doing that maybe it wants something louder maybe it wants something quieter you got to look at those different details. And you got to pay attention and, and, and tough, right? You're concentrating on so many different factors, but as the day progresses, those are the details that help you learn to change that bait for that particular instance. Another key point to this, in my opinion, is, you know, we fished a lot of water over the past three, four days, didn't see any fish. They weren't following. We've seen a few sitters. We are up shallow. We've seen the sitters sitting up there. We knew we were in the area that the fish were, but they would not move on a bait. We're, we're throwing everything at them, right? They still weren't moving. Well, we had a weather change, and that definitely uh, kicked in everything, you know, for the month of September, the way it's looking. It looks like we're going to have this cold front for for kind of uh, at least some weeks, and if you look at the extended forecast. But one of the things that the muskies did when we weren't getting the follows, we've seen some sitters. The second component to it was we seen them porpoising. So we knew that we were in the right area. And, uh, you know, keep checking that area. Once they give themselves away where they are, guess what? Now you can explore different bait options to try to figure out the rest of the pattern.
2: Yeah. In addition, you know, looking at things that people can do different at the boat, I get exactly what you're saying as far as time on the water. I used to fish religiously every day almost, uh, especially when I was living up here. Now that I'm building baits and I'm busy and I got three kids, my time on the water is super limited. And it's amazing how much of my edge has been knocked off just because I'm I'm out of practice. And what I've noticed is when you get on the water, you're a lot sharper at the side of the boat. But things that people can do is kind of Brad's point of paying attention. On what the what the fish are doing pay attention to what you're doing keep your eyes behind the bait every time it comes in try and make at least an l every time it comes in when you see that fish don't do a jumping jack and get into a position to lift the thing right in the boat i've seen guys do so many goofy things when they see a fish when you jump in the boat you know that fish can feel it and that's a change where they're like i don't know what the heck this is but i don't want to be a part of it you got to be as smooth as you can be just go into that eight nice and easy you know let the fish show you what it wants speed it up make a commit same thing with top water you know we're in top water time don't set the hook as soon as you see the splash it's it's easy to do as soon as you see that big head come out of the water you think it's game on i'm gonna rip this thing's head right off with a hook set and all of a sudden the bait comes flying at you 100 miles an hour and you're like oh i just missed it you gotta be patient you know chill out a little bit it, i get jumpy i mean after i caught that 54 last year i had two fish bite within 15 minutes after it and i know i ripped the bait right out of their mouth it's hard to do but if you focus on relaxing you know being smooth it, it, it definitely definitely helps once you start getting tired once you start getting frustrated and lazy that's when you pull the bait out of the water and you look down and there's a muskie staring at open water saying where the heck did that bait just go um, those are the mental toughness things that everybody's absolutely capable of doing uh, if you can be strong on those areas, you will create a lot more opportunities for yourself. I think what we should do is talk to Jeff a little bit about a couple days ago. Here, uh,
1: he got stung in the back by a bee, <laughs> and it was he was itching like crazy. He, he literally stopped reeling the MK65, and he's out there looking. And I'll let you take over, Jeff, because it's pretty
2: funny. I mean, his back was bothering him quite a bit. So we and we had been. I don't know what day we were even on, but it hadn't been going good. We weren't seeing any fish. We had a couple bites, a couple hooks pop out. We just couldn't keep anything pinned. It was about as frustrating a fishing as I've had in a long time. Getting to be in the evening and get stung by a bee, and I take three minutes to kind of scratch my back, try and get the itch off, make a bomb cast. I get it about halfway back, and it's just burning. And so I, I reach back, lie on my back, try and scratch it. Take my eyes off the bait, bait sitting totally dead in the water. And I glance back over and I just see this gigantic swirl where my bait used to be. So this fish hit it, sitting totally dead in the water. Wasn't moving, hadn't been moving for probably three or four seconds. And I give it a one-arm hook set. The fight was on, get it back to the boat and it's coming right at us. It's a nice fight. And all of a sudden the bait comes flying out of its mouth and the fish just glides away like nothing ever happened. And so there again, how long was that fish following that bait? How long did it sit there before it decided to eat it? I mean, it was everything that you're not supposed to do, and, and the fish still ate. would have been great to land them, but I think we actually got that on film. But, I mean, just, it could have been the luckiest catch of my life, right? It could have been the fish, that bit of bait that wasn't even moving, and all of a sudden, oh, here you go. There's a nice 47 in the bag for you. Uh, it didn't work out quite like that. But, yeah, weird, weird things do happen <laughs> like that. I won't forget that one anytime soon. And then I had to deal with the beast thing on top of it. So, oh, well double stung double. Yeah, that one stung twice as bad
0: well jeff i heard you mention top water time in there and obviously september is one of those months that's you know notorious for top water baits you know in your opinion are top water baits something that guys should be throwing into october are they missing out on opportunities by putting them away early i think so i mean I i've seen it
2: go into mid-october with ease at times. I mean, it depends on the year too, right? But if you get a nice Indian summer, things can stretch on forever. If those fish are still there and still shallow, absolutely keep throwing baits over the top of their head. They do love eating top water. And and I remember when I started out, I, I was I was a young kid. I went out and bought all these lures, bought all these top water baits. Thought, oh, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna get fish to bite on top water. And I was throwing them left and right in June and July, thinking, gosh, they don't bite top water. And school would start and i'd never be able to fish in september and i kind of thought this whole top water thing was a myth or something that only happened in canada and you can get them in the summer months for sure but this is definitely a higher prior or higher uh, probability time it seems when those fish move up and they're shallow and they're looking to feed falls getting right around the corner but yeah it's not just a one or two week window it can be i mean it could have started three weeks ago and it could go well into october um it, it does depend on some of that weather and how that that water cools down if it cools down super fast or nice and gradual you know once you get kind of that magic number where where it's falling those fish all move shallow but no i i mean I, like i said i've seen topwater bites go well into october and and uh yeah a lot of people think all oh, the leaves have changed it's time to pull up the glide baits and the big rubber not so you know i think you can throw you can throw small bucktails in topwater quite a long time into the season man. and truth be told topwater's are reason to fish. You cast them out, you reel them in. There's not a lot of work. I mean, I'm not looking forward to ripping pounders. You know, it's just the way it is. And so if they're biting them, I'm going to be throwing topwaters and small bucktails until they tell me I can't do that anymore. I would
1: agree with that 100%. You know, these fish don't change. One day, all of a sudden, okay, it's October 1st. Now it's time for jerk baits and rubber. And I think a lot of people get confused on that. They might have a bad outing where blades or a top water didn't work but guess what the second day it did so you got to kind of feel that out and you got to keep remeasuring what you're doing right so whatever you caught last time you were on the water whether it was a week ago two weeks ago two days ago it doesn't matter if you caught or you had action on that particular base make sure that that thing's in the water have your buddies changing up doing different things and try to follow that pattern i think a lot of times, everybody wants the this, this sport of musky fishing to be black and white. Believe me, it's as gray as it gets. Because as soon as you think you have it figured out, they change it up for you.
2: Another thing I would say to that is just, you know, how you kind of, like Brad said, last time you were fishing was a week ago. Where do you start? I would start exactly where I left off. And if they're not there, where do you go from there? Some guys say, oh, they were shallow a week ago. They must be deep now. And they jump all the way out to the deep weed edge. There's a lot of ground in between the super shallow and the super deep. And I like to go in small steps backwards because I don't think they make those, you know, drastic of adjustments unless there's a drastic change, you know, unless there's just some wicked, crazy weather that's totally abnormal and is kind of sustained that way. You know, that's how I check down, so to speak, as to finding where those fish are. The other thing is, it's really easy to get caught in the game of, oh, I bet they're on the east side of the lake. Nope, they're not on the east side. Let's go to the west side. They're burning gas when they might just be down the shore a little bit more or or just hanging out in a little bit different kind of weed that sits three feet deeper than what you were getting them in last week. So I like to do those small adjustments, you know, to kind of check down and figure out where they're at. If I, if it's been a while since I've been on the water. I can say this too, over the past three, four days that we fished together,
1: you know, Jeff's in the boat, Chase was in the boat. I was running camera. One of the things that was really interesting was we kept questioning ourselves, are we where the fish are? And periodically we would see a sitter. We were fishing really shallow and tight. We'd see a sitter. Okay, that confirms there are fish up here, right? You're never going to see all of them, right? The boat's going to spook them every every once in a while, um, so you're not seeing those sitters. But a really strange thing happened a couple days ago. Um, and I've seen this multiple times throughout the fishing that I've done, but we've seen three different muskies sticking their head out of the water. Okay. And I'm like, looking at this one as they're, they're fishing and I'm just running camera. So I'm kind of looking around, checking things out. All of a sudden I see this muskie's head sticking totally out of the water. And I'm sure multiple of the listeners have seen this happen, but everybody that was in the boat, I had told them about it or They had never personally seen it. And they're like, that is a muskie. And and its head was right out of the water. I'm like, well, that fish just gave it away. We go to another spot. We're fishing, fishing, fishing. We're not seeing anything. All of a sudden, here's a muskie sticking its head out of the water again. And so we go a little bit longer, maybe a half hour longer, probably 100 yards away. Here's another muskie sticking its head out. So pay attention to your surroundings and you're definitely going to get clued into where those fish might be and talk about a weird deal I don't know Jeff have
2: you ever seen that happen uh, where you're seeing a monkey stick its head out of the water I've definitely seen them cruising around with their nose and their eyes out of the water but that first one that we saw was literally nose straight to the sky you could see it from what would be the underneath you could see its entire head almost to the bottom of the gill plate it looked like a little I don't know a little boat sticking straight up in the air or a A buoy, a buoy. buoy. That's what we call it. It was the weirdest thing. And I was like, there's no way that's a muskie, just sitting there with its head vertical and sure enough, it turned and it wasn't a little one either. I mean, it was a giant and it just lumbered off. It was the weirdest thing. I don't know how it could do that in such shallow water, but it was, it did it for seconds. I mean, when I saw it, it had to be five or seven seconds before its head went down. Weird. Chase did look it up on
1: google or whatever and basically one of the things that he read which probably makes the most sense in my opinion is that they're trying to clean debris from their gills so i mean like he said well that makes sense they don't have arms they can't just like kick inside their mouth to clean it up so they go vertical to use gravity and the water movement through their gills to clean and you know we're thinking about that it makes sense when you think about we're in a really heavy weeded area they go down they eat whatever bait that they're eating they get debris whether it be coontail cabbage whatever it might be it gets stuck in their gills and it's got to be uncomfortable it's like us as humans getting a piece of uh, ribeye stuck in your teeth so (laughs) i don't know It it was kind of an interesting deal when he once he looked it up on the internet
0: I'm surprised that Chase can look up the internet.
1: Well, I mean, it's <laughs> tough with up and string, but I mean, you know, if you you type long enough, you can figure it out.
0: <laughs> uh, actually, I'm, I shouldn't give Chase a hard time. He's he's a pretty handy kid to have around that way. I think I think he keeps you in line. Uh, wow,
1: that's maybe loaded too. I think <laughs> I keep, yeah. I think you got that confused, and then there's Carrie that watches over all of us. So. We, uh, we got a short leash up here.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So before we wrap up this episode, we've talked about baits. We've talked about retrieves. We've talked about, um, you know, making decisions. We haven't talked about structure. What kind of structure should we be fishing right now?
1: Well, first, before we even get into the structure, Jeff, I, I think we should clarify, right? I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, Jeff Schulte's done it a long time. I know yourself have has done it for a long time. And the one thing that has always blown my mind is every day on the water, you're going to learn something different, right? And there's no real rhyme or reason. Like I said, there's it's not black and white. But the one thing that I will tell you, as you move and and progress into the September timeframe, that first cold front and thereafter, as the water temps are going to start falling. You definitely want to check your shallow sand spots, shallow weeds, rocks, right? The rocks and the sand will definitely maintain heat or gain heat with a high sun, right? The first days are usually cloudy after a really nasty cold front, correct? So you definitely want to look at those spots that are going to maintain or retain the heat of the water. And, and the sun becomes a key component to that as well. So think about that, first of all, and then attack that lake based upon what you know is going to retain the heat. Would you agree with that, Jeff?
2: You know, so as it pertains to kind of structure in this time of the year, uh, we were up fishing the PMTT and the shallow bite and the rock bite had been, had been pretty good. Uh, and then it wasn't you know pre-fishing it seemed to be getting worse and worse and on tournament day it didn't seem to be doing anything and so we thought about that you know that's not the way it should go it should get better as it gets closer to fall what changed or what's different and you know one of the things that we kind of hypothesized was you know we had a lot of warm days which the heat is good but we also had a lot of flat calm days in a row and when that happens it that oxygen level can kind of get depleted up in that shallow, shallow water. When you don't have waves beating in and mixing it up, that oxygen level might not be there. So those fish push out. And where do they go? Well, that's the question I don't have an answer for because we obviously didn't catch them in the tournament. But uh, they went down, they went out, you know, they suspended off, you know, off those rock reefs. So quite a ways out and just hung out until conditions changed there are those other factors that kind of go into it as well. The fish that we did find during the tournament were sitting over super deep weeds, you know, tending to bait. And so it's not a situation where every fish in the lake is here or every fish in the lake is here. There's definitely a majority can be here. It can be there. Your highest uh, percentage of active fish can be here, but there's, there is some of that ebb and flow as well. Now, as we get into the full swing of fall, you know your your good opportunities do seem to focus around some of that that shallow water stuff, and it is you know the water cools down significantly at night. That sun comes up, that sand's still holding heat um, on a sunny day. That sand gains heat quickly, and, and you know that's what those fish tend to like. But yeah, it was just interesting how how it kind of went one way and then bounced back the other um, while we were up there, and and uh, you know who knows those fish are probably back in there again. I don't know, but. Uh, that would be the logical thing.
0: Just goes to show you how much things can change, you know, on any given day, how you can't just assume one thing and, and just stick to that pattern. So you got to change. What's that saying, Brad, that you have fish have fins and they swim.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. We mind screw ourselves so many different ways, but you got to keep in mind the muskies are doing their own thing too. And, uh it's challenging. There's no question about it. If it wasn't challenging though, we all wouldn't be musky fishermen. I mean, it definitely takes a special person to commit themselves to this whole type of uh, crazy environment.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I think there's certain days where if we just would I almost like relax our brains a little bit, we'd almost be better off.
1: Yeah. I think that shows up when you talk about tournaments, right? I mean, for whatever reason, if, you, if we were just talking about this two days ago on the drive or in the boat, whatever it might have been, but ultimately it's one of those gigs where I don't, I don't care what body of water. Let's say it's Malax, right? My home water is Malax, and I'm going to fish a tournament. Guess what? I'm probably not going to do as good as somebody that has never fished Malax, right? They're coming to it with an open mind. And I'm thinking, well, man, I got to fish this. I got to do this. I got to do that. A lot of times, as anglers, we fish memories, and memories can really put you behind the eight ball. So, definitely something to think about. Keep a fresh mind, keep fresh uh, on all the tactics that you're going to choose to use. You know, there's, again, no black and white answer, but if you approach the lake based upon weather, based upon water temps, based upon time of the year, you're probably going to start putting those pieces of the puzzle together and get out there and attack it. You're going to have success.
0: So, Jeff, before you get out of here, let's talk about this. Let's uh, say, what's the biggest mistake people make with a flat tail? Well,
2: that's a good question. I guess I can't say what the biggest one is. I can say what maybe the most common one that I hear of is. you know, One, thinking that they have to fish it, super super slow you can speed them up the other thing is and it's, it's true for all top waters, is just you got to let them eat it you know they're they're inquisitive they're going to bump it they oftentimes go for the blade that's why those spreaders can be so important uh you gotta you gotta give them the time to get it in their mouth uh sometimes they put on a big show and they never bite it um just sit back and wait wait for the wait really is, is kind of what i always try and tell myself i had one here just a couple days ago that, I mean, it made the biggest blow up on the bait and I just kept the exact same speed. I didn't go faster. I knew she was still there and she came back and her second hit was very different than her first attempt. And I just waited for that rod to bend over. And then I sat into it. And I think it's kind of avoiding some of those early jitters, you know, and, and also with flaps, there's a lot of hooks going on. There's a lot of things going on. They catch weeds like crazy fight through the frustration of picking weeds up. If you know the fish are there, you just got to deal with it and uh, and get those fish to to commit because it they do show fish whether it's mine or somebody else's flaps work uh, and and they can work when other things don't um, so uh, you know having one in the box where when times get kind of grindy and tough is is a, a good thing to do and I mean it's it's very quickly become my confidence bait in the later months for certain.
1: I think one of the other parts to this whole thing is, you know, the neat thing about what Jeff's got going on, and I don't want this to sound like an advertisement, but if you're choosing a flap, I think one of the neatest things that Jeff did is the the body profile of this bait. It's pushing a ton of water. Bomb Squad has the perfect, in my mind, the perfect body to actually make fish want it. It's moving water. It's making that noise, you know, that ting, 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 ting. There's there's something special about it. And I've got to witness a couple of real big giants eating the boat, and both, all of them on that Bomb Squad MK-65. It blows my mind, man. It's not a bait that I would normally choose because I struggle. I can fish slow. I can fish rubber slow. I can fish blade slow. But topwater, it's always irritated me to reel slow. It's a bait that I can throw for 10, 12, 16 hours a day and be okay with it. it. It's really, really weird. A hog wobbler, great, great bait. A creeper, great bait. But I personally struggle with it, where with the with the flap, I can actually make it happen. And I don't know why that is.
2: I think it's the interaction with the bait. Yeah. The other thing I do see people do wrong, too, is, and 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 by design, I think the bomb squad does a good job of this. Is once the wind starts blowing, they put the top waters away. And honestly, that's when you, should, you know, I mean, I've seen fish like jump through waves; it's insane. But when they want it, they want it. I mean, we had a we had a fish during the tournament attack a cannonball, and it was like suicidal through a three foot wave. And so again, once the wind starts blowing, don't think oh, top water; it's got to be glass calm. No. it it can be rolling pretty good and and heavier baits like a Cannonball, Cannonball Junior, you know, the MK-65 with the denser body, they ride real nice and stable in the water. And and those fish find it. They live in this water every second of the day. They know what's around them. So just because you don't think it stands out well, uh, these fish are very, very aware as to what's going on around them and and what's above them. And they're not afraid at all to hit them in the wind.
0: All right, guys. Well, it's, pushing uh i don't know what time is it right now um almost 11 30 on a friday night yes we're those kind of people you know anyways uh jeff if people want to learn more about bomb squad baits how do they go about doing that
2: uh you can check it out online bombsquadbaits.com or hit me up through facebook or instagram if you want to see uh how they work and how they run you can probably scroll back through some mayhem Ten Thousand cast episodes and find one there might be another episode coming that's pretty epic so we'll uh look forward to seeing that in the early part of 2023 but yeah website email easy stuff
0: sounds good guys well we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule jeff i know i think you're driving home yet tonight probably and brad thanks again for uh for your work this evening i want to thank our um, listeners as well for putting up with us for another week and we'll catch everybody again with a new episode next week wednesday